as you stand, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses, we'll be reading verses 16 through 26, as Pastor Bruce kicks off the summer series on spirit fruit, you can find the, the text of the fruit of the spirit here in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, it works because we're now officially in summer by the date and by the weather, if you step outside you know it is warm, so spirit fruit for the summer, Galatians five sixteen through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, Murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, we come to you this morning and we read in your word the fruit of the Spirit and help that spirit to, that, that fruit to be evident in our lives for us to submit to you uh, in, in your lordship. Open our hearts and minds to learn what you would have us to learn today, that we would uh, have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Summer, you know, so in kids' minds, summer is, you know, the days you're out of school. That's summertime. And, uh, but nonetheless, we are here, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, and I'm excited about this new series we're going to start, uh, our summer series called Spirit Fruit, Becoming the Person God Wants You to Be. And uh, so this summer, what we're basically going to do is learn about pomology. You say, what in the world is pomology? Well, in a p- pomology is the science of fruit growing. And a pomologist is one who studies fruit growing. Jeremy, is my thing off? No? Okay. So is there a pomologist in the house? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. And his name is the Apostle Paul. So what we're going to do in this series over the course of the next ten Sundays, including today is we are going to take an in-depth look at all nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists here in Galatians chapter 5. Now, let me just throw out the goal for this series, the goal for this summer for myself, for all of us here today, and the goal is really the same as God's goal for all of us here, and that is for each of us to bear the fruit of the Spirit every day in our lives, and to become the person God wants us to be. The goal of following Christ, well, after all, if you're following Christ, the goal is to become what? More like Christ. Uh, The New Testament teaches us that. As Christ followers, we want to imitate our lives after Christ. And bearing the fruit of the Spirit helps us to do that. In fact, by bearing the fruit of the Spirit, we will look more like Christ. We will act more like Christ. Therefore, spirit fruit here is not just some hodgepodge basket of fruit to kind of pick and choose as we please. No, God wants us to bear, as we will see through the series, all nine fruit of the Spirit. And the reason is because the spirit fruit here actually reflects the very character and nature of God. And so as we bear this fruit out in our lives, we are becoming more like God or more Christ-like in our lives. Now, let's kind of stop there for a moment, and uh, I'll be the first to be honest here. Hopefully, you'll be honest with yourselves as well. I think we would all have to agree, or at least I do, that this is so much easier said than done. Becoming more Christ-like, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but all I have to do is look at my life, look in the mirror, and I know that I still sin and I suffer, suffer spiritual defeat. Am I, is there anybody else in my boat? All right, I think all of us are in the same boat here. 
In fact, perhaps you can relate to the Apostle Paul when he writes, speaking of himself in Romans 7, verse 15, he says, Man, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Been there, done that. Still there doing that. Right? I think we all can do, uh, relate to this. In other words, do you ever wonder to yourself, why don't I do the good that I want to do, and instead I do the evil I don't want to do? We could phrase it this way in the context of our series of spirit fruit. Why do I sometimes bear bad fruit in my life? Instead of the fruit of the Spirit that God wants me to bear. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us why. Immediately here in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. Look what he says. Paul writes in verses 16 and 18. In fact, today's lesson, I'm going to primarily focus out of the English Standard Version. Look what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what you see here in these three verses is a basic conflict. This conflict is raging inside the human heart, and it is often called the war within. In fact, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen As Christ followers, we are actually in a spiritual struggle. I like the word fight even. We're in a spiritual struggle or a fight to bear the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. The flesh and the Spirit are in a battle with each other. In fact, one desire grapples with the other. Kind of like two giant sumo wrestlers. How many have ever seen sumo wrestling on TV? How many have ever seen it in person? Oh, no, I didn't think anybody's seen it in person. But imagine this, like two giant sumo wrestlers. That's our spirit in the flesh. And they're trying to push each other out of the ring. So what does this word flesh actually mean? When Paul uses this word flesh, listen, he, he, it's not a reference to our physical bodies as he would, maybe would use that word elsewhere. Although the sinful desires of the flesh often involve our bodies, as we will see later on when he begins to identify some of the works of the flesh. When Paul mentions this word flesh here, he is talking about our old sinful human nature that we have all inherited from Adam and Eve by birth. John Piper describes the flesh as this, and I quote his definition. He says, it's the old ego that is self-reliant and does not delight to yield to any authority or depend on any mercy. In fact, our human nature is hostile to God. It's selfish, and most of all, it's sinful. But when we come to Christ and put our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross in his resurrection... We become what? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.17, we become a new creation by virtue of the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of that salvation. Or to say it another way, the flesh is what we are by physical birth and the Spirit comes to us by spiritual birth. What Jesus describes to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, to enter the kingdom of God, we must be what? Born again. Not born of water, that's physical birth, but born by the Spirit. And so this human sinful nature of ours, we are born with it, we inherited it from Adam and Eve, but the Spirit comes to us and dwells us. By a spiritual birth. We're born again by the Spirit. Now the very first thing that Paul tells us here in Galatians 5. Is one of those good news, bad news scenarios. How many know what good news, bad news scenarios is? It's kind of like if you have both. You come to somebody and say, well, what do you want to hear first? The good news or the bad news? And they say, oh, I don't know. Give me the bad news so I can end with the you know, good news. Or those vice versa. Paul comes to us with this good news, bad news scenarios. So, what do you want to hear first? Bad news or the good news? 
Well, let me give you the bad news first, okay? The bad news is the Christian life, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's hard. It's a struggle. It's a fight. In fact, it's a constant struggle and fight. And and you may be wondering, well, why is that? Because when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, the flesh, that is our old human nature, doesn't just go away and leave you alone. Although we wish it would, right? Boy, it'd be glorious if it did that. Yes, the flesh is, and yet don't mistake in this, the flesh is dethroned, the flesh is doomed, but it never fully departs from us in this life. You say, wow, that is bad news. Please give me the good news. What is the good news? Well, the good news is we are not alone in this fight. We're not alone in this struggle here. In fact, we have the most powerful and trustworthy ally of all on our side. You say, who's that? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit as Christ followers, as believers in Christ. And this is why Paul tells us now in Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, question. What then should we take away from all this flesh and spirit talk here that Paul's referring to? Well, first of all, understand this struggle or fight. Listen, it's just a normal part of the journey of following Christ. It's a normal part of the journey. Think of it this way. Without the spirit living within us, there is no conflict. There is no struggle. There is no fight. You would just do what you want to do. And what you want to do from the old human nature is gratify the desires of the flesh, what the Bible calls sin. As Christ followers, we sometimes look at this struggle we're in, this fight we're in in our lives, and we can conclude, oh, man, there must be something wrong with me. You may even question your salvation and think, man, if I'm really a Christian, if I'm really a Christ follower, then why do I still struggle with sin? But this struggle that we experience as Christ followers, far from being proof that something is wrong with you, is actually evidence that we are Christ followers, that we are believers in Christ. The time to worry is not when you struggle with sin, but when you're not struggling with sin. Man, that's when you ought to worry. When you're constantly giving in to sin. When neither the leading of the Spirit or the discipline of God is present in your life, leading you away from sin. So the Spirit leading us away from sin is a good sign that we really are born by the Spirit and we are alive in Christ. But we also need to understand that although this struggle we're in, this fight is a normal part of the journey of following Christ, listen, God's desire, His goal for all of us here is that we walk with the Spirit in order to bear the fruit of the Spirit and not the works of the flesh. Our flesh should never be used as an excuse or justification for sin. We must not go there. In fact, Paul deals with that in Romans. You know, should sin abound? No, grace should abound. Remember, God's goal is that we bear the fruit of the Spirit every day in our lives. His goal is that we become the person God wants us to be. But to fulfill God's desire, we need to know the difference between the fruit of the Spirit in the works of the flesh, and we need to know how to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So what I want to do this morning as an introductory message is kind of overview, kind of highlight what are the works of the flesh, what is the fruit of the Spirit, and how can we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. All right, you ready? So let's answer the first two questions. The first question is this. What are the works of the flesh? What are the works of the flesh? Now, the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit Let me tell you, it's not hard to tell. Not hard to tell. Look what Paul writes in verses 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, and then he lists several of them. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, 
strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the sins in this list that Paul gives us here are so familiar to us, especially in our day and age and culture, that they really require little by way of explanation. So what I'm not going to do is go through every one of these sins that Paul lists, or what he calls the works of the flesh, and dissect them, explain them, because I think we're all pretty familiar with them. And besides, the focus of our series is not on the works of the flesh, but on what? The fruit of the Spirit, or what we're calling spirit fruit. But I do want to point out three things about the works of the flesh here. Number one, the works of the flesh are very distinct. They are distinct. The first thing Paul tells us about the works of the flesh is that they are evident. And that is they are distinct or they're obvious. Paul doesn't need to prove to us that these things are sinful either. It's obvious the works of the flesh are sinful. The second thing we learn is the works of the flesh are diverse. They are very diverse. As you read Paul's list, you notice that there are a lot of different kinds of sins that he lists here. In fact, the all in all, it's quite a list. His catalog of sin seems to break down into a number of different areas of our life. Uh, he lists sexual sins. He lists social sins. He, he lists sins of the body, sins of the soul. He lists sins that are common among us as believers and also sins that are common among unbelievers. And then Paul ends his list with that little phrase. Did you catch it? And things like these. Now, why would he end the list with that little phrase? What's he telling us here? Well, this little phrase tells us or shows us that Paul could keep going on in this list. In other words, this list isn't exhaustive. He could keep listing on and on and on, going on and listing all the sins of the flesh. There's many other things he could have listed, but he didn't. In other words, here's his point. His point has less to do with any particular sin than it does with a lifestyle or a pattern that these works of the flesh represent. In other words, what is in the heart will always reveal itself in our lives sooner or later. As the Puritan William Perkins said, this list of vices is a mirror to reveal the corruption of our own hearts. And then lastly, what we learn is that the works of the flesh are deadly. First of all, they're distinct. Second of all, they're very diverse. But most important of all, don't miss this, the works of the flesh are deadly. What Paul says next at the end of verse 21 is most alarming. So we should pay attention here. Whether you're in sixth grade or whether you're 96. We should pay attention. Having listed the works of the flesh, he goes on to warn where they naturally lead, or rather, where they do not lead, when he writes, And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what Paul means by kingdom here is God's final kingdom. The place of his final rule. What we think of predominantly as heaven. And the way we inherit God's kingdom is by receiving the free gift of eternal life through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting is apparently Paul had already warned the Galatians before about all this. That while good works cannot get someone into heaven, which is what he starts out talking about in the whole book of Galatians. Good works will never get anyone into heaven. But notice, evil deeds, evil works, sins, can certainly keep someone out of heaven. This is why Paul warns us now. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So question, because I'm sure this question is floating in your mind already. Oh, man. 
How many have beads of sweat on your brow right now? Right? I mean, does this mean anyone who is guilty of doing any of these sinful deeds is going to hell, Bruce? Is that what Paul's saying here? Well, no, not necessarily. When Paul refers to those who do such things, New King James changes the word do to practice those things, which is a great translation of that word. The Greek verb here of either do or practice indicates, get this, habitual action, not just some occasional lapse that we have struggling in our journey as Christ followers. In other words, what Paul is saying is that those who practice such things, those who do such things, those whose lives are dominated by sin, characterized by sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The most important point to notice is that these sins mark an unregenerate life. And all I mean by that word unregenerate, these sins mark somebody. In other words, they, they're evidence that that person has not been born again by the Spirit of God. They don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. In the end, you can have the flesh, or you can have the kingdom of God, but you can't have both. They are mutually exclusive. So if you consider yourself a Christ follower here this morning, and yet persist... In unrepentant sin, listen, I urge you, I plead with you to take Paul's words here to heart, to listen to his warning. You will not inherit the kingdom of God when your way of life, your lifestyle proves that you do not know God's Son and you do not respond to God's Spirit. Again, we must be clear. That Paul is not talking about stumbling into sin. He, he's talking about a settled lifestyle of habitual sin. In an attitude that refuses to repent of that sin. And confess it to God. And make things right. Yes, true believers are saved. And yet we are still sinners, aren't we? To use Martin Luther's words... We are simultaneously just and yet sinners. And that's why we are in a struggle. That's why we're in a fight to bear the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh. So as Christ followers, listen, if you're here this morning and you're discouraged by sin in your life. And you're weary from the battle within, take heart. This is actually a good sign. Time to worry is when sin is not a struggle. When you're comfortable in your sin. And when you're not fighting against it, that's the time to worry. That's the time to be concerned. In fact, the very fact that you are concerned right now sitting in the pew about your spiritual life. About your relationship with Christ. Shows that the Spirit is at work in your life. And that he will enable you to live a life that bears the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh. Which brings us to our second question. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Let's answer this. Now, there's a reason why the flesh produces such bad behavior. Do you understand that? Because it's simply doing what comes naturally. That's what our flesh wants to do. Therefore, that's what it does. Naturally, produces bad behavior, the works of the flesh. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Our, own, our sinful nature produces bad fruit, or what Paul calls the works of the flesh. Why? Because it was a bad tree to start with. By contrast, the Spirit is a good tree that produces abundant fruit, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I'm reminded of the story about a family that had a great climbing tree right outside their son's second-story bedroom window. And the boy used this tree to sneak out of its window, climb down the tree, and then secretly play with his friends, especially during his nap time. 
It was a great climbing tree. In fact, it was a fruit tree that had begun to rot from the inside out and had stopped bearing fruit. So one day the little boy overheard his parents discussing the fate of the tree. It would have to be cut down before a storm blew it over into the house. Oh my, the escape route of the little boy was now in jeopardy. So that night, the boy and his friends came up with a great plan. They're like, let's go get a basket of apples. And in the cover of darkness, they tied the apples onto the branches with kite string. Next morning, the father shouted to his wife, Mary, you won't believe this. It's a miracle. That old rotten pear tree is covered with apples. (laughs) If only if if it was that easy, right? If only if if that was it. I'm tongue-twisted. If only it was that easy. Listen, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, what we're going to learn is that you can't tie it on with kite string. It is the supernatural result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. This means we can't grow this fruit on our own. That's why it's called the Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit comes from life. And this life comes from the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, listen to me, is only possible as we cooperate with the Spirit in our lives. To say it another way, we ourselves, what do we produce? The works of the flesh, right? Which we're all familiar with. But the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in us as we walk by the Spirit day by day. Now, you may have also noticed that the word fruit is singular and not plural. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, but simply the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that? Well, most Bible scholars think the singular fruit refers to the unified, harmonious character the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. And that all nine fruit of the Spirit belong together. One analogy that you could use is a, a cluster of grapes, which is why I like the, uh, the posters and the, you know, the, the image on the, on the screen of the grapes. In fact, ladies, when you go to the grocery store... And you, you buy grapes. How many of you buy just one little old single grape? Does anybody just pick off one little grape, put it in a bag, and take it to the, to the checkout? And she's like, one grape, that's it. And she weighs it, yeah, 0.2 ounces. That'll be a penny or whatever. No. I mean, that would be the most asinine thing in the world, right? Nobody does that. When you go to the grocery store, you buy a cluster of grapes. In the same way, the fruit of the Spirit is a cluster of fruit connected to the same vine and springing from the same root. And that root is the Spirit. So what does all this mean for us? What does this mean practically for us right now today? It simply means all nine fruit of the Spirit, not just some of them, are to be present in our lives and are to be growing in our lives. When I was in uh, college... I actually worked at a grocery store, worked in the produce department. In fact, I did that for, oh man, four to six years. And uh, actually, I I enjoyed it. I love working in the produce department. But the one thing that irritated me the most working in the produce department is after, in fact, uh, for a couple of years, I worked uh, nights in the summertime. In fact, it used to be food barn right up here at Vivian Oak, Vivian and... uh, Antioch. It's now Constantino Sunfresh, I believe. I worked at that store. And I did it at night. And at night, I was responsible to restock all the fruit shelves. And of course, my personality is, when I restock it, I do it neat. It looks good. Let me tell you, it looks really good. Right, Bill? That's right. That's right. So the one thing that would irritate me then, in the mornings before I'm leaving, clocking out, is these mothers coming in, senior ladies coming in, and they're hand-picking all through my fruit and vegetables. And they don't put it back. No, they take this, look at it, set it down over here, mix it up, set it here, look at it. All of a sudden, I look back and I said, 
is blown apart. It looks like a disaster zone from these mothers and senior adult ladies coming in and just picking and choosing. and They handle all the fruit, and you look in their basket, and they got two pieces of fruit. And after handling a gazillion pieces of it, what I'm saying here is, You can't pick and choose among the fruit of the Spirit the way we sort through the fruits and vegetables at a supermarket. That's not an option. All nine character qualities are to be evident in our lives. In other words, we can't say, oh man, I'm into joy, but not so much love. You can't say, man, I'm working on kindness, but I think I'll skip patience. It doesn't work that way. Each of these character qualities should also work with one another. Have you ever seen someone try to be patient without love? A person showing that sort of patience can be hateful and overbearing. So in order to love, you've got to have all the others. In order to have kindness, you need all of the other eight. They all work in hand to hand. All nine of these qualities are to be present and growing in our lives. So what are, or I should say what is, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Look at it one more time. Zach read it for us. Look at it in your notes or your Bibles. Paul now says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he lists it, love, joy, peace, patience. In fact, that word patience is also translated as long-suffering in some of your Bibles. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, what's interesting here is that the fruit of the Spirit, get this, It affects and it impacts all of our relationships in life. This is amazing. Without the fruit of the Spirit, you know what this means? You're not really a likable person. At least not that much. With the fruit of the Spirit, you're more like Christ. You're going to have a greater influence in a greater impact in this world. These impact our relationships. J.I. Packer, a famous theologian, once described the fruit of the Spirit as Christ-like habits that every believer must seek to form by setting ourselves deliberately to do the Christ-like thing in each situation. So notice the nine fruit of the Spirit, what they consist of. It consists of love as the Christ-like response to all people In all things at all times. Joy as the Christ-like response to circumstances that call for sacrificing ourselves in order to serve others. Peace as the Christ-like response to troubles, threats, and anxious thoughts. And then number four is patience as the Christ-like response to those who irritate, aggravate, or provoke you. Ooh, can't wait till we get to that one, right? Number five, kindness as the Christ-like response to those who are unkind and don't deserve a second chance. Goodness, as the Christ-like response to what is evil in our world. Number seven, faithfulness, as the Christ-like response to lies, deceit, or lack of loyalty. Gentleness, as the Christ-like response to the desire to lash out or defend one's rights. And then the last one is self-control, as the Christ-like response to whatever or whoever causes you to want to please yourself at the cost of pleasing God. Now, what we're going to do, obviously, beginning next Sunday, is we're going to begin to look at each of these nine fruit individually. So next Sunday, we will look at the spirit fruit of love as the Christ-like response to all people in all things at all times. And we will just do an in-depth study of this. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday. Now, as we contrast this morning... The works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit helps to remember that we can only produce what? The works of the flesh. And only the Spirit can produce the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, I want to leave you, I want you to understand and know this, left to ourselves, our flesh produces the deeds of sin. Or the works of sin. It cannot manufacture a changed life. Listen, only God's Spirit can. Only God's Spirit can change our lives. Only God's Spirit can produce His fruit in our lives. And yet, please listen, the Holy Spirit will not produce His fruit in our lives without 
our cooperation. The Holy Spirit will do his part, will do his work. But folks, listen to me. We have a part to play in this as well. We must cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? How do we cooperate with the Spirit so the Spirit can produce His fruit in our lives? Produce all nine of these. Well, Paul gives us God's plan for bearing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 here. In fact, there are two things we must do so the Spirit can produce His fruit in our lives. Number one, the first thing is we got to keep the flesh crucified. You got to keep the flesh crucified. As we have seen, the Spirit is engaged in mortal combat with the flesh. The desires of the Spirit wage war against the sinful passions of our flesh. And in this war, let me tell you, there will be no truce. The Spirit must battle sin to the death. Therefore, when the Spirit captures the flesh, He does not hold it as a prisoner. He commits the ultimate act of war. The Spirit puts our sinful nature to death, and not just any death. The means of execution is crucifixion. This death blow takes place when we put our faith in Jesus' death on the cross. This is what Paul means when he writes back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, a verse many of you are familiar with when Paul writes, speaking of himself, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who lives within me. Christ lives in me. Now, there's a connection between this verse in Galatians 2.20 and what Paul now writes in Galatians 5, verse 24. Look what he says. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus. In other words, uh, in relation to our, the mission and purpose of our church, we could say to those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's a connection between what he writes in verse 220 and what he writes here in 524. But notice one very important difference. In 220, we have been crucified. But now here in 524, we do the crucifying. You say, oh man, what's the, what does that mean? It simply means that when you came to Christ, you basically said to yourself, I no longer want to live in the power of the flesh. I'm tired of sin and failure and compromise and living for myself. No longer will I walk in the path of sin. So by coming to Christ, what you did is symbolically, we nailed our flesh to the cross of Christ. You made a decisive break with your own sinful nature. And you basically said to your flesh, you will rule me no more. From now on, Christ will be my master. He'll be my Lord. That's what salvation is all about. You took a hammer and you basically nailed your passions and desires of the flesh to the cross. So the cross of Christ means death to our flesh. And many of us probably thought, yeah, man, I'm done with that. Done with that. Done with, over with. Trouble is, that's not how it works. Trouble is that our old sinful nature has a way of trying to climb back down from that cross. And when it does, it's able to make a remarkable speedy recovery, partly because we have a way of helping it. We are sometimes tempted to actually pull the nails out, help our own sinful nature down from the cross, and kind of nurse it back to life. This is why, if you're wondering why you struggle with ongoing sins, this is why. These sins that we commit so often that they become bad habits in our life that it's just hard to break. And we're like, why, oh Lord, do I confess this sin, repent of it, and then a week later I'm back to it again? it's a fight and part of the problem is we're helping the flesh instead of cooperating with the spirit this has to stop don't administer first aid to your flesh instead crucify your own sinful flesh put it to death 
As Philip Graham Riken writes in his commentary on the book of Galatians, and I quote his words, he says, From time to time, whenever your flesh shows signs of life, you say, Oh, no, you don't. Don't try to climb down from there. Get back up on that cross where you belong. And then you pound the nails in a little deeper. That's the idea. Listen, if you belong to Christ, in other words, if you know Christ, you have crucified your sinful nature with all its selfish desires. So don't resuscitate it. Don't give it CPR. Don't keep it on life support. Just leave it on the cross and keep the flesh crucified. And let me tell you, that is a day by day thing we have to do. How many of you have figured that out? Oh, Because the moment you don't think it's day by day is the moment the flesh rears its old ugly head. You know, two heads going on here and they're... It'll be a glorious day when we get to heaven, won't it? But in the meantime, to bear the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh, we've got to keep the flesh crucified. In fact, the theological term for that is mortify the flesh. Crucify it. But number two, there's a second thing Paul identifies for us here, is we've got to keep walking with the Spirit. Keep walking with the Spirit. And you say, well, why is this so crucial to keep walking with the Spirit? I'm so glad you asked. Paul tells us why back in verse 16. Listen, you got to see it. Look at it. Verse 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And then notice why. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Folks, listen to me. Yes, the spirit is at war with the flesh, but don't miss the main point here Paul is making. The main point here is not just about war between the spirit and the flesh. The main emphasis in this chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians, is all about victory for the spirit and death to the flesh. Paul tells us that when you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, and to that we can say, oh, praise God. When you walk by the Spirit, you nip the desires of the flesh in the bud. The new God-centered desires will crowd out your old man-centered desires. So verse 16 here comes to us with hope. It promises victory over the desires of the flesh. Not that there won't be war, not that there's not a struggle and a fight, but that the winner of that war and struggle and fight will be what? The spirit and not the flesh. But the key to all this, Paul tells us, is what we have a responsibility to do is to keep walking with the spirit in order to celebrate this victory over the flesh in our lives. So what does this look like? To walk by the Spirit. To walk with the Spirit. Well, a young man, some of you know him, Aaron Wayne and I, we're in the process of one-on-one discipleship. And uh, if you've never been through one-on-one discipleship, I encourage really everybody to go through it. It's a great time of mentoring, one-on-one, sometimes one-on-two, whatever. We go through lessons. In fact, one of the lessons, what we learn about this very thing in our lesson on the Holy Spirit is that walking with the Spirit is really the, it's, it's as simple as the conforming influence of the Spirit in our lives when we choose to live in a close relationship with the Spirit, which is a novel thought to most of us right now because most of the time our only thought as Christ followers is, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. B- blow me away. You mean I have a relationship with the Spirit? Absolutely which probably helps explain why we live such defeated Christian lives because we only have half a relationship or a third of a relationship because there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who's a person who lives within us, gives us the power to bear the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. But we have to have a close relationship with that Spirit 
This means I continually choose to live in close relationship to the Spirit. And I conduct my daily living in a manner that is consistent with the Spirit. And you say, what kind of conduct and manner of living is consistent with the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Nine fruits of the Spirit. Nine characteristics of the Spirit. That is consistent. That's how we are to conduct our lives. That's the standard for living as a Christ follower. Basically, walking with the Spirit is the idea of living in such close relationship to the Spirit that the Spirit guides and influences every part of your life on a daily basis. Think about this with me. This word walking. It's a powerful word picture to describe our life as followers of Christ. When I walk with the Spirit day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, His life begins to influence my life. His character begins to shape my character. His desires start to become my desires. And you know what the result of all that is? The result is that I begin to bear what? The fruit of the Spirit and not the works of the flesh. The problem comes when we stop Walking with the Spirit. Or as Paul tells us now in verse 25, we fall out of step with the Spirit. This is why Paul concludes the chapter here on the flesh and the Spirit talk with this exhortation in verses 25 and 26. Look what he writes. He says, if we live by the Spirit, and as Christ followers, as those who know Christ, that's what we do. He says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this phrase, keep in step, it's interesting because it's a military term that actually describes a soldier marching in formation in his platoon. So the idea of walk here in verse 16 is that we should live our lives in close relationship with the Spirit. But here in verse 25, that close relationship should result in a life, get this, that marches in formation with the Spirit and His godly desires. In other words, we are living such close relationship with the Spirit. He's with me close And now when I go through the journey of life as a Christ follower, I'm keeping in step with him. His standard of living, his holiness, his passions, his desires, instead of my old fleshly ones. Does that get the idea? And then Paul reminds us in verse 26 that if you want to walk with the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit, keep your eyes on Jesus and not on the person to your left or on the right as you're going through life. Because if you're looking at other people in conceit or envy, you're probably not looking at Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep walking with the Spirit. And keep the flesh crucified. And the promise that God gives us is you will bear the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh. Now, as we come to the end of this message... Here's a question I want to leave you with. A question I ask you to think about. And that question is coming up on the screen. The question is this. What are you bearing in your life? At this moment, right now, what are you bearing in your life? Are you bearing the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? What would you say characterizes your life more? The works of the flesh Or the fruit of the Spirit. And as you ponder this question, I want to leave you with some encouragement. One last thought. Listen to me. The fruit of the Spirit is possible for all of us here this morning. For all of us who know Christ as our Savior and Lord. The reason I say that is because if you know God's Son then God's Spirit is what? Living within you. And that means, get this, that we don't have to bear the works of the flesh. We can now bear the fruit of the Spirit, not in our own power, but in the power of the Spirit that dwells within us. Yes, we are in a struggle. We are in a fight to bear the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. But folks, listen to me. Victory is promised. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is possible if we put to practice what Paul writes back in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And oh, how we need your help and we need your power. Lord, first of all, we need your help just to be honest about our lives. We need your word to kind of search out our hearts and to reveal to us what we bear most, what we're characterized by, what fruit we are bearing. And Lord, it's a struggle. Lord, I hope and pray that you will show all of us the deficiencies and where we need to grow. And yet, Lord, remind us of your grace and your power and that there's hope for those of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior because we have your spirit within us. Victory has been promised, and the fruit of the spirit is possible when we cooperate with you. So, Lord, we ask for your grace and your strength to to walk by your spirit and to keep in step with your spirit day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision. But Lord, perhaps right now there are some who can identify some of those works of the flesh that are prominent in our lives. And we just need to confess them. Confess them as sin and then receive the forgiveness of sin that your son offers us. And be cleansed and made righteous and holy all over again. So, Lord, I pray that right now during this praise time, this response time, that we would respond to you in this manner. And we would submit our lives to your spirit working in us. And we would prepare our hearts and our lives to go forward this summer to bear the fruit of the spirit instead of the works of the flesh. We pray these things in your son's name. And as the praise team sings, I invite you. God invites you to do business with him right where you're seated as the praise team sings.